0: I'm Aubrey Henderson, I'm a recovering people pleaser turned self-worth coach, here to help you befriend your inner critic, break up with people pleasing, and reconnect with your desire. Every week I share my answers to your questions, live coaching sessions, interviews, and more to help you reconnect with your self-worth. Have you ever felt stuck in your life and just needed a really fucking good pep talk? Well, babe, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Ask Aubrey is supported by Eliza and Wild. Eliza and Wild creates all-natural, high-potency CBD products designed to give you targeted, everyday self-care, inside and out. Their ingestible and topical CBD products are consciously designed with all-natural and intentionally sourced ingredients and fully recyclable packaging. So it's good for you and for the Earth. And y'all... Eliza and Wild literally does not have a single product that I don't love. I have them all and everything smells and tastes incredible and is made with ingredients that I can feel good about putting on and in my body. I take the CBD and MCT oil drops daily and they help me to really keep my anxiety and my tension under control. And they also have a line of amazing CBD topical products including this lip balm that I am truly obsessed with. And like, did you know that CBD actually has anti-inflammatory properties when you apply it directly to your skin? Because I didn't until I started to use this lip balm and it is changing my life. And also it smells amazing, which we all know is really important. And I know that you're gonna love these products just as much as I do. So when you grab yours at elizaandwild.com, you can use the promo code Aubrey15 at checkout for 15% off your order. That's elizaandwild.com, E-L-I-Z-A-A-N-D-W-Y-L-D.com. And make sure to use code Aubrey15, that's A-U-B-R-E-E-1-5 for 15% off. Hey babes, welcome to this week's episode. We are continuing this week in our series of things that are not your job. So these are things that we have been socialized to believe are our responsibility when actually they're not, and that we are sort of working to let go of, or things that we struggle to let go of because you know we've come to believe that there are things to carry, are things to own, are things to take care of when they're actually not. And so last week, we talked about this idea that it's not your job to prove that you're worthy, that you're good enough, um, that you're lovable, that you're adequate. And this week, we're going to continue and talk about another theme that came up from all of you, which is that it is not your job to fix people. And I am putting air quotes around the word fix, but you can't see that because that's how podcasts work, but air quotes because I don't think anybody is inherently broken and needs to be fixed. But this idea that you can't you can't heal other people. You can't do that work for them. And I decided this week that I wanted to have a buddy with me to talk about this and, you know, that it could be fun to have somebody to chat with. And as I was sharing the topics for this series with her, you know, she mentioned that these are things that she has thoughts about, that she's interested in talking about. So, I'm really jazzed to have who the person who is perhaps my most consistent podcast guest, which is my wife Laura.
1: Was consistent because I'm convenient,
0: <laughs> always here. It's not can't o- escape me. It's not only that, <laughs> but it's not not
1: that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Makes me feel loved. Either
0: you're uh-huh. so loved. You're uh-huh. so loved. So, yeah, this is what we're talking about today. This idea that, you know, and you might remember, I sourced these sort of themes from folks on Instagram and Do you have an Instagram? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, these these themes came from folks who, you know, kind of submitted the things that they are working through and this was a big one for people. Um and I think it's really interesting. This is something, I mean, I personally have struggled with. I don't know. Would you say that you've struggled with this? This idea that you feel a responsibility to, like, heal people or help them get better or fix them or, you know, whatever the verbiage may be?
1: Have a project. Someone's a project that you're working oh, on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had that. I've been that. Mm-hmm.
0: You've been that?
1: I don't know that I've been somebody else's project, but I've been the person who has projects,
0: you know? Like thinking of other people as, as a project. Yeah. My responsibility, Mm. you know? It's really interesting when you put it that way. And like, you know, a ton of my work as you know, and as people listening to this know is around people pleasing, right? This idea that people pleasing is actually a very unhealthy and harmful pattern of behavior and something that I, you know, want to help people to move away from and one of the things that I talk about a lot with people pleasing that this kind of reminds me of is this idea that we can think about people pleasing as a loving behavior, right? Mm. Like we're trying to care for people and, you know, make them feel comfortable and make them happy. And so we sort of change our behavior morph ourselves into something that we're not in order to do that. And actually what I assert is that that's a very manipulative, unkind thing to do. Yes. Um, which is a reframe that I think is a big shift for a lot of people, and it's interesting because as you're saying as you're talking about people as projects,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I hear that, and you're talking about this as something past tense that you've you've done before, but I would imagine try not to do now,
1: yeah,
0: but th- i like I cringe at this idea of like referring to people as as projects and not with any judgment because like i've been there like i I get it,
1: yeah, I mean I feel like at some level that's common if you are in leadership in any kind of social group, but especially my background, which was in religious spaces and Christian spaces where we're always trying to bring in people. We're always trying to make them feel some type of way, help them grow, become leaders themselves. Mm. But then when you're in charge of social dynamics like that, then the difficult people or the people who are outside the core norms or culture of the inner group Mm -hmm. they become the projects they become the people who get targeted for whatever to become by leaders you know to make Mm -hmm. them feel supposedly to make them feel welcome or to help them feel cared about or loved but often I think it probably feels more alienating and ostracizing than anything else because you're kind of like they know that they're being targeted right yeah Um, or they know that they're being identified as a problem in some Mm -hmm. kind
0: of way Wow. I mean, that is, and we've kind of talked about that before, but never quite in this way, this idea that like, and I felt this too, as somebody who's, and we've talked about this as somebody who's been kind of the like token non-believer in religious spaces. And I don't feel that anymore as like, you know, now you and I play leadership roles in a church that is very, very progressive and very much like kind of created to not, not be that, but in like Christian spaces I've been in before as, sort of this like open-minded agnostic person or whatever, you know, I felt people kind of like really sort of be magnetized to me as somebody who that like was a project who could be like converted to something, right? And I think it's not just like in a faith context that we think about this, right? I think, you know, we we often, like I have felt that when a person I think feels like they can really help me with something that I'm not necessarily asking for help with. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the, and this is a thing people pleasers do as well. This is a thing that people who struggle with their own self-worth and maybe overly focus on nurturing others do, is that we we can be pushy and we can kind of push in where we're not being invited in. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where a lot of this gets sticky, right, is that we feel like, oh, we can – and you hear this with, like, people – you know the stereotypical way this is talked about is like women who are in unhealthy, toxic relationships with men, and they're like, "Oh, I just think I can fix him." Like, "Oh, I just think I can." You know, when really, like that dude is not asking to be fixed. He's, you know, engaging in unhealthy patterns, and they're his choice. Um,
1: I mean, that's an interesting thing, though, right? Because I think in he- in straight culture, which is something I don't understand very well. from the record, <laughs> But there's this, like, when once a man gets married idea, he'll settle down, he'll become better, and it's because the woman makes him better, right? Or the dynamics of being married or whatever. Mm-hmm. He'll be tamed. And I think the concept of, like, I can fix him is very much part of toxic masculinity. It's reinforced and by like, that, yeah. Part of toxic gender roles mm-hmm. and gender disparity. And I think, you know men might be making choices to live in filth and whatever, but also they're enabled. Sure. You know, and then the women get complain and all of this weird, you know, reinforcing behavior and culture and dialogue around it. Right. There's scripts that we're following.
0: Totally. Totally. And that's of course like this stereotypical, like hetero kind of, you know, framework that we're talking about here. But I think, which is
1: deep, which I imagine as an observer
0: is as an observer as of a, straight <laughs> culture. <yeah.
1: laughs> I mean, you, it makes sense why that is unfulfilling, right? Because you're just playing a script and you're not actually exploring who you are and mutual appreciation. Like, it, right. I, it, I think it it can often lead to something more shallow, right? Where yeah. She's trying to fix the man,
0: and then the man's not flourishing. And I think that can play out. I mean, we're talking about, of course, right, these kind of like dominant culture scripts for, mm-hmm. for you know, heterosexual relationships. But I think that can play out in a lot of different types of relationships where there is sort of, you know, and I talk a lot about codependency. And this is something where, like, if you're talking about codependency of somebody who is struggling with mental illness or with addiction or, you know, something like that, and they have a partner who is you know, kind of in the relationship with them, in this mindset of like, oh, this person needs me, and that's what I'm getting out of this, right? Yeah. This person needs me, and the role that I'm filling here is the role of person who is needed, and who is sort of, you know, not not necessarily being like a whole and complete person in the relationship, but instead just kind of like swooping in to be like, oh, I can, I can fix it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or you know, I can keep this person alive not necessarily to help them thrive and be their full selves and you know take the steps that they need to take to heal from something right Mm -hmm. and I think that's that's the differentiator like I talk to people who struggle with codependency who are in this I speak for myself here too because I am somebody who would identify as being in recovery from codependency is there's this you know there's this idea that one that you're in a relationship with someone who's struggling with something because it's like the the role that i can fill the value i can add is that i can fix this thing that is wrong and that is wrong with this person so one you're already going into it with like a deficits based view of the person you're in a relationship with mm-hmm. and then the idea that you can fix it actually takes away all the autonomy of that person to have their own journey mm-hmm. And that's not to say, like, you can't love a person with an addiction. You absolutely can. And I think that we should love people who struggle with addiction or with mental illness, obviously. But that the way to do that is not to believe that you are somehow the solution to something that is theirs to heal from or is theirs to recover from or their own journey or their own experience of trauma, to like believe that you are the cure. I think is also actually, like, is not selfless in the way that we, you know, the story we tell ourselves is that it's selfless and that it's, oh, I'm just a giver. I'm just a nurturer. When really, like, it's a little narcissistic.
1: <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's narcissistic. It's a messiah complex. Yes. Um, And it's, it's completely misguided. Yes. Uh, because you're hoping, in some ways, that the addict replaces their substance with you. Yes, that you will become enough. That you will become the thing that they need more than yes. the drug.
0: Yes, exactly. And that's
1: not healthy. <laughs> I mean, yes. that's not possible. Right. Let's just say it that way.
0: Well, and yes, you're set up for. You're set up for either your person remains in addiction and unwell and in a cycle of, that is killing them, right? Mm-hmm. Or. They break free of that cycle somehow and they heal and then you no longer have that role to fill and you break your own heart. Like, right? There's there's no way to get out of that that, that everyone is well and okay.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're set up to to want to keep your person active in addiction. Yes. And I think that's, you know, I, and I say all of this like not with any intention to like be unkind to a person who's struggling with this because again – this was me. (laughs) This in many ways is like my natural inclination. And so I think like, I hear this idea of it's not your job to fix people. It's not your job to heal people. And I feel so much like empathy for that experience Mm. because that has been so much of my own experience. That's Mm. been so much of my, like that's been one of my biggest Mm. unlearnings.
1: I feel a sense of relief. Like, oh yeah, it's not my job. I get to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I get to watch more Netflix and stop fixing people. Isn't
0: that amazing? I think it's interesting because I there's a part of me that feels that. Mm. And then there's a part of me that feels and I wonder if anybody listening to this feels this too, but like there's a part of me that hears that and thinks like, What is well what is my job then in the mm. in a relationship, right? Yeah. And I know this is, I mean, this is like me giving a little insight into our relationship, but like this is something that even shows up, like after I've been in lots of therapy, done a lot of self-work, this shows up in our relationship all the time where like you'll be frustrated about something that has nothing to do with me, like completely separate from me, and I see that you're not in a good place or not in a good mood, and I'm like, how do I fix it? Like I go straight into, how do I fix it? I'm so sorry for whatever I did. Let me make it better. Like you know what I, and for you, that's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's not about, And that's your favorite thing to say is like, babe, I'm like, it's not about you. Yeah. And that is, that is hard. It's a hard kind of piece of programming to undo.
1: Totally. Mm -hmm.
0: Because there is kind of that natural orientation. And for me, a lot of it is like related to my upbringing, being the oldest child of a single parent. And so there was kind of like the natural kind of like eldest child responsibility, sort of parentification that happens, that then I sort of automatically feel this heightened sense of responsibility. And, you know, just being someone who is a nurturer anyway. And then, you know, having a parent who struggled with addiction and, you know, having those things be present for me. Like I see all the puzzle pieces now, again, after like lots of self work to see how those things added up for me. But it's just so many years of that being my like natural way of being that I think probably the first time someone was ever like, you can't fix, you can't fix other people like you can't, you can't actually heal other people.
1: And also you can't take responsibility whenever something isn't right or isn't perfect. Mm. And I think one of the messages that you've deeply internalized is it's my fault yeah and so then out of a place out of a sense of guilt or a need to repair or whatever that is you know there's a, there's this need to fix yes that comes from that internalized message of yes. badness yes. and so i have to now somehow create good but you but that's not true that's not accurate or real about a lot and not any number of circumstances You know, things go wrong and it is not your fault. It may not be my fault. It may not be anybody's fault. And we can just let the thing be a thing. Yeah. And so, you know, it's fascinating how you start with this phrase of like, it's not your job to fix people. And then you're unraveling like all the narratives and messages that have reinforced that idea.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's that. Because underneath, exactly to your point, underneath this idea of it being, if I believe that it's my job to fix people, underneath that is, it's my job to make everybody okay, to make sure that everyone's okay. It's um, it you, whatever happens, whatever circumstances come to be, are my responsibility, which is an incredibly just enormous burden to bear.
1: Yeah, exhausting.
0: It, and like, <laughs> for the, I'm just thinking, I whenever depending on the, the topic of what I'm talking about, but whenever I'm recording something, I have, like, a handful of people who listen to this podcast regularly who, like, talk to me about it, who I, like, hold in mind. And I'm just thinking of a couple people right now, and I want to just, like, look at them and be like, girl, no wonder we're, like, anxious all the time. Mm. Because I know that they also carry this this same kind of, like, weight of the world, like, everything's my fault if it goes wrong. When, like, if I, when I say that out loud... That's insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's it's obviously not true, mm-hmm. but it's that kind of subconscious thing that's just running constantly. Mm-hmm. That when you stop to kind of take it apart, and when you stop and and say, "Okay, it's not my responsibility," so let me just let it play out. And being able to tolerate kind of the discomfort of that is is its whole own thing, right? <laughs> to be able yeah, to say, it's like, its
1: own skill, really?
0: Yes. Yes, if I say it's not my job to, you know, take a person along their healing journey to fix someone's, you know, challenge that they're struggling with. And this can even be, you know, less serious than like somebody's, you know, healing from trauma. And it can be like, you know, my friend needs, you know, extra bananas and they can't, you know, can't make it to the store to go get them. It's not my job to fix that situation Mm. and to drop everything that I'm doing and run out to the store and get them bananas and bring them and drop them on their doorstep, right? Mm -hmm. Laura's laughing because I'm saying this as we've had this situation of (laughs) accidentally ordering. (laughs) I have bananas on my mind because I accidentally ordered five bunches of bananas instead of five bananas. (laughs) Anyway, but, you know, like it's not every situation that is, you know, placed in front of me that somebody says, like, I'm struggling with this thing isn't my job to fix it. And I have, I have a couple friends in my life who really, you know, the first person to tell me about this was Kelly. Kelly was our former roommate. Hi, Kelly. I love you. If you're listening to this. But the first time she said to me, I was like sharing something, venting something to her. And she said, Hey, um, am I listening or fixing right now? Hmm. And that was like such a powerful question. Cause to me, if somebody's sharing something with me, I always would feel like I'm, I'm fixing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna fix it, which also pisses people off if you're somebody who's like an advice giver and somebody just needs to vent to you and you are always trying to fix it like it's not helpful, it's frustrating
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you know, I now have a couple of friends who will who will say, Are you wanting empathy? Are you wanting advice? Are you wanting both or neither yeah, like what are you looking for in this scenario? Or, you know, and and I think that that notion just was so – at the point when I heard it from Kelly, and I think now every time I hear it, it's so refreshing to me because it was so novel, right? We have this orientation oftentimes of feeling like, okay, somebody's presenting a dilemma. I feel pressure to, like, to fix it. To to like To jump in and fix it.
1: Yeah, and I think – what you're trying to frame out here is like, what is a healthy model of support? Right. Yes. Because we have to reframe it. It's not my job to fix people. It's not my job to fix every situation. Yeah. But how do I show up as a wholehearted person? Yes. To care. Yes. And to support. Yes. You know, and it strikes me talking about this and fixing that there's the anxiousness and the urgency. There's a lot of, white supremacy underlying that and there's a lot of need to be in power yeah there's a lot of need to control and there's a lot of need to organize things how they should go and I think you know to let that slide to let somebody else have the mic and to show up for what is needed instead of show up for what you think is needed um is a practice. Yes. It's it's very different, I think, for some of us who grew up very steeped in, in white culture. It's yes. very unfamiliar.
0: That's such a good point. And I think it's, there is a difference between feeling like we're pushing in to assert that we have the solution or that we know what someone else needs versus being invited in mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Yeah. And I think for for people who struggle with this need to be needed, right? There is this sense of like, well, I'm just, if I'm going to push in and like assume that I know what they need and start to meet their needs and make myself indispensable as quickly as I can, because there's that insecurity of like, you know, if I'm not helping them, if I'm not doing something for them, they're not going to know that they want me around, right? Or they're not going to have any reason to want, like, we don't trust that we'll be invited in. But actually being invited in by somebody And being able to support them in whatever way they're asking for is really powerful Mm -hmm. and is different than the orientation of, like, it's my job and I must, you know, be the superhero and kind of swoop in and fix everything, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then I think – I mean, the other thing I would say is that another thing we talk a lot about here is boundaries. And I think there are, of course – you know, we're talking about the kind of scenarios where we lean in and treat someone as a project and think that we – know what they need and we kind of take over. But what about when we're in relationship with somebody and they sort of invite us in and they're like inviting us to fix. Yeah. They're like, please fix me. Please help me. Like they're, they're sort of really pulling you in and that person is feeding into that in that way. Does that make sense? It does. And I think, I mean my, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like that's where boundaries are really important.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and mutual consent,
0: mm, right? Say more.
1: So I think you were just talking about this idea of somebody inviting you in mm-hmm. and you also have to want to be in. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, sure. like they have to, whatever their need is, whatever their vulnerability they're willing to share and open up and invite some kind of sympathy or solution, you know, whatever it is they're looking for, Mm -hmm. then you have to be able to be willing to give it Mm. in return. Yes. And so it's not one person overpowering the other, but true support is an agreed upon presence, right? Where I am here in want of something and I'm here to give something. Yes. And we can come together in that way.
0: Yes. So it's like, if we imagine it's somebody opening a door, right? We're not just bursting through someone's door without knocking, without ringing the doorbell, right? If somebody's opening the door and saying "come in," we also get to decide the terms with which we we walk through the door or we don't, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, I think you might peek in and be like. Oh, hell no, get me out of here. Sure. You know, like sure.
0: they have cats, I'm allergic to cats. Right. Right. I'm allergic to cats. Maybe someone who's not allergic to cats is better suited to this scenario. Yep. And yeah, I think that's really that's really important. And I mean what we talked about before with, you know, making sure you're being invited in or that the person is is open to whatever the next thing you're gonna offer is, is something along the lines of Hey, am I listening or offering advice? Mm -hmm. Like, is that would you like just an ear to listen, or are you are you looking for support in the form of advice or something else completely? Right. It's it can literally be just asking that question. But for you, I'm curious what you would say for the person who you know is is being invited in, but maybe needs to create a boundary when they're being invited in. So I'm saying like here I'm sharing all of my feelings and all of my past trauma and all my very personal stuff with you, Laura. Um, and you know, I, I want you to like really get down in the mud with me and like dig through this stuff. And if you're feeling kind of like, "Whoa, Whoa, Whoa, I need to like pump the brakes on this. Like how I'm putting you on the spot, but how would you approach that? What, you know, concretely, what would you say?
1: I mean, there's a few things, right? There's an a, an assessment of really what is this person dealing with, yeah. right? And if I'm feeling overwhelmed, then they they need help from other sources. Yeah. <laughs> so who are the other people I can offer up or, re, you know, services mm-hmm. also right. that, that I can suggest? Do you need therapy? Do you need... You know,
0: other supports. Right. Um, and how can you support them in getting access to that, right? Yes.
1: And I'm not a social worker, but also, like, I know social workers. So right. how how do we get you connected with somebody who knows more about these things? Right. Um. So, I mean, I think that's one step is, like, okay, if I'm overwhelmed, why am I overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. What other things can I suggest? Mm-hmm. And then also in terms of my time and energy... I have to be very strong about what I can and can't do yeah and my you know I think we live in a culture where people are so lonely Mm. and so desperate to connect that when you connect you go all full throttle and like this that was me
0: yeah
1: Anytime I felt connected to any one person, I told them everything and spent hours and hours and hours telling my story to the point where now I feel so embarrassed. and like, why did people let me do that? But I, like, you know, overshared and got so deeply invested in several relationships because they listened to me and because I got to tell them things that nobody else Mm -hmm. saw or heard. And I can't imagine what it was like for them. And some of them pulled back and I think... In immature ways. And that does so much more damage as well. Right. That's her. And so I think, you know, you need to frame it, not about that, the other person being messy or the other person right. being problematic, but be in terms of like, what is my capacity to help you? Right. What is my capacity to be present for you? Right. If I can't show up as my full self and really be an active listener and participant in the conversation because I'm exhausted or I'm overwhelmed or I'm emotionally triggered by something happening that's also not going to help the person. Right. And I feel like, and I think in most situations you can be somewhat honest about that. Um, but without oversharing yourself. Right. Right. But in broad strokes say like, Hey, this is, you are okay. You're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, give us some reassurance, but I'm exhausted and overwhelmed. And so I need a break, Mm. you know, tomorrow let's get together and talk about, these resources tomorrow. It's whatever. So it's like, you have to guide the conversation, right? You have to own the moment. Right. And it's okay to not be a hundred percent strong. Right. It's okay to not be the end all be all right. To have the self-awareness that I'm in a village and I can invite that village to come in.
0: I love that. I love that. And I think another thing I will say is that this is the power of, and I talk about this a lot with like boundary setting, but I think this is a really good example of where us modeling this for other people in our life then invites them to do the same. And so th- the immediate thing that I think of is that I have a couple of relationships where, you know, a person will reach out to me. I have one friend in particular who does this really beautifully or she'll reach out to me and she'll say like, Hey, I have a family thing that I just need to vent to someone about. Do you have capacity for that right now? Mm-hmm. And like, or she'll, like, you know, she'll say, like, I have, you know, we share some, like, similar trauma history. And so she'll say, like, hey, I have a thing related to this to vent somebody about. But, like, if, if you're not in a space to hold that right now, like, that's okay. But I just wanted to check with you before I, like, just say it and kind of dump it on you. And her doing that for me has created then the ability for me to kind of do the same back because I see how she does it and it modeled the language for me in a way that now I am sensitive to that in a way that I wouldn't have necessarily thought to be. And so I think there's a way that we can also begin to model that to the people in our lives when we like need to go to somebody with like a topic that may be upsetting or is sensitive or is like really emotionally intense and say like, Hey Laura, I like I just need to like vent for 20 minutes to somebody about something that happened to me today. It's I don't need advice, like I just am looking for someone to listen. Like is that something that you would be able to do? If not, it's totally fine. And, you know, being able to being able to do that and have the language for that and doing that consistently, I think normalizes that experience of like checking in about capacity, which I think is so much of I think what we're talking about
1: yeah but I mean it's interesting because I think that depiction requires a lot of clarity
0: sure that's fair
1: and I think a lot of people when we feel emotional or when we feel stressed or whatever we're going through yeah we don't necessarily have the ability to moderate like that and I think you know that's why we're talking about being able to moderate that for somebody else to be able Mm. to come in and name your boundaries and claim them because the expectation is not that everybody's going to approach us in a way that is helpful or that is taking care of us, but that we can take care of ourselves when we are called on for support. Sure. Um, And we can create a space of clarity for other people that will also empower and take care of ourselves.
0: I think that's fair. That's fair. And I think what I'm also saying is part of, part of that self-awareness and being able to moderate that for other people is also being able to have the self-awareness to do it for yourself. Totally. So I think then what you're saying is like looking back at situations where maybe you felt like you overshared or were more vulnerable than you would want to be part of, I think being able to help others along with that is being able to do it for yourself as well and being Mm -hmm. able to, to kind of have that moment of calibrating that.
1: Yeah. And also I think as you practice it, realizing, okay, if I don't know what I need right now, the default is X, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So if maybe in my feelings, I don't actually know what I need. And so that means I just need to vent.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, like, please don't say anything. Just absolutely circumnavigate to it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know? Well, and the interesting thing is like what we've now gotten around to is that if it's not our job, to fix or heal other people, that means it's no one else's job to do that for us either. Amen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so, and that, and that is all to say, there is a caveat here, which is that if you're listening to this and you're like a therapist or a doctor, it's totally your job. <laughs> 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 it is your job a thousand percent. But you, if, if that's you, you know. <laughs> but I mean, but that's the thing though.
1: Those professions have ethical boundaries. Yes. Very intense structures. Yes. You know, my therapist is on with me for 45 minutes and then she's hanging up the phone to tell her high water. It does not matter if I'm like mid snot crying, right? Like she's going to have a wrap up moment and move on with her day. Sure. Because that's what's appropriate, right? Because I, every week she's, I have 45 minutes.
0: Yes. And that's what makes her work sustainable Mm -hmm. is that she has those really strong boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. And because, she doesn't believe that her her worthiness as a human being is tied up in her ability to, you know, be the end-all be-all for you.
1: I mean, I don't know about that. She also probably sees the therapist.
0: (laughs) I hope she does.
1: uh, (laughs) I, I don't pretend to know what my therapist in our world is like, but I think, you know, I think that's the fascinating thing, right, is that you see in the helping professions, there is that structure because... Um, it's not her job to fix me, ultimately. Yeah. Right. It's her job to help me along the path.
0: That's right. Right, to be with you on that journey. hmm I love that. I love that. So I think, you know, I I would love to hear if you have any, like, final thoughts for a person who's listening to this and is like, yes, I'm un- this resonates with me. I'm unlearning this belief that it's my job to fix other people. What would you say to that person?
1: I mean, I think... It, you the practice going forward is to be able to differentiate between fix it behaviors and supporting. Mm. And what does it look like for you to be somebody who shows up in a healthy supportive posture? Yes, versus in the old patterns of fixing. That's right. And how, so and to do that repeatedly and you're going to mess up and you're going to go back to fixing it or you know all of those things that's why it's a practice that's right but to get to that concrete place to get to the clarity is so important and everybody needs to define that for themselves in
0: some ways I love that and I think for me it's part of that is recognizing that it is a practice it's something that you have to do in partnership with the person that you're supporting. You don't get to decide what it means to fix or heal somebody else. And also that for the folks who are listening to this, who have resonated with my content around people-pleasing, your people-pleasing will fix nobody. Mm
1: -hmm. Your
0: people-pleasing will fix nothing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that, you know, showing up in a way that is not authentic to who you are because you think that it is going to, solve something for another person is not going to do it. I promise.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for having this lovely chat with me.
1: Did I do good enough for you, babe?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you, um, here's the good news. Uh, you actually don't have to prove that you're good enough.
1: There we go. It's not your job. Thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty bad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babe.